on a soggy fall day in Oregon, when it had rained for days and days, the large garden behind my grandparents' house was a muddy pit. My grandpa had tilled it up to let it sit over the winter. My sister and I came up with a game, a rubber boot game. My grandparents would leave their tall rubber boots by the door out to the carport. We stole those boots, took our own shoes off, slipping our socked feet into the boots that were several sizes too big and tromped off to the garden. Then the game was to see if you could run across that muddy garden in the boots without getting stuck. Imagine it, a little blonde girl trying to run across a lumpy, bumpy, extraordinarily muddy garden with boots too big. <laughs> when I say extraordinarily muddy mud, I am not joking. This is serious mud, people. Mud that is deceiving. Have you seen a field that is sitting fallow for the winter? The straight rows of clumpy soil the tiller has made? The mud chunks are hard on the top, but what is sitting underneath waiting to grab a giggly girl's boot was the sloppy, soupy mud. As strong as the bony grip of my granny's fingers when she'd grab my arm and squeeze with that skeletal hand in a grip that would remind you of the skeleton on one of those Indiana Jones movies, I'd pull away with fear in my eyes only to have her cling harder. That was this extraordinarily muddy mud. So there goes that gangly girl who already looks silly running with normal shoes on, let alone big rubber boots on that are three sizes too big. Halfway across the garden was when the problem arose. She'd made it once before, but this time with every step, the boots started to suck down further and farther into the mud until slurp, she was stuck. Boots sunk all the way down to the tops, stuck so hard in the mud that her run had come to a screeching halt with one foot in front of the other stuck deep in the mud. One foot comes flying out of the boot and now she's left trying to keep from keeling over forward, standing on the other foot that remains in its own boot. Arms flailing, one leg swinging out and around like a helicopter, trying not to fall into the pit of mud the pit of quivering mud. Yes, there I was trying to get my free foot with its clean sock on back into the boot without getting it in the mud. But now the mud was starting to spill over into the top of the boot. That's when the laughing would start. My sister and I would laugh and laugh until we were crying. I'm standing in the mud trying to stay balanced, laughing so hard that tears are now streaming down my face. The idea of how I was stuck in the middle of that muddy garden was hilarious even to myself. Finally, balance was lost and the socked foot comes down into the mud with a splat. The mud claimed the sock as I pulled my foot from it. Did my grandpa pull that sock from the tiller in the spring thinking, what in the world? To get the foot with the boot on it free, I had to grab a hold of the top of the boot and help pull it free as I pulled up with my leg. Then another round of laughing ensued when Bonnie watched as I stood in that mud with only one boot on, pulling with my scrawny arms on the loose boot in a futile attempt to pull it free. I seriously thought I would have to go back into the house and tell my grandma I had lost her boot in the garden. <laughs> but enough willpower and persistence paid off and I was able to finally pull the boot free. Eventually we drug our muddy selves back to the house and hosed everything off. But we were little girls, and as you know, little girls don't clean up that well, so imagine the look on my grandma's face when she put her clean foot into a boot that had residual mud and hose water inside. <laughs> Welcome back to Storystone. Changes in the air. The mornings are cooler and the days are shorter. 
Then suddenly, in the blink of an eye, the leaves were all turning. It seemed to happen overnight, and it caught me off guard a little. I'm not sure why, since we've been drinking pumpkin spice lattes and snuggling into our chunky sweaters again. I know it sounds cliche, but I'm sorry, who doesn't love a cozy sweater on a cool day after the hot, humid summer? My windows have been open for the last three weeks, and it's been lovely. I mean, suddenly the leaves all started to turn into those wonderful fall colors, reds, oranges, and yellows, some so so bright they take your breath away. Fall in Tennessee is my favorite season. It's like a slow southern goodbye. The kind of goodbye that starts in the house and works its way out to the car with at least an hour of conversation added to the visit. That's fall in Tennessee. Fall hangs around for a lovely long time. The mornings may start out chilly, but the day heats up quickly to a nice mid-60 to 80 mark without humidity, giving plenty of time to go outside and enjoy the fall leaves. I remember my grandma Hersher would talk of the colors of fall in Michigan. I would say to her, oh, but the leaves here are so pretty, grandma. Look at those pretty yellow ones over there. But then I experienced my first fall in Tennessee. You see, where I grew up in southern Oregon, the majority of the trees are pines and firs, with a few deciduous, you know, deciduous are the kind that lose their leaves, scattered here and there. Most of those turn yellow in the fall. Oh, there is color, mind you, but just not quite like it is as you head towards the east coast. In Tennessee and Michigan, the hills come alive with color. It's like a patchwork quilt. If you go for a hike in the fall, it's like walking on a rainbow, a rainbow of leaves, like the trees are dressed up for the gala, dripping in golds and reds so bright your pupils constrict and your breath catches in your throat. They dance together in the cool breeze and send down the rain of their beauty to lay down a protective coat on the forest floor. Such a wonderful season of change. Maybe it's nature's way of filling you with all that color and joy before the gray and cold sets in for the winter. Fall brings about change, and that is what this episode of Storystone is all about. Change. And rubber boots. Do you like change? Not just the change of seasons, but change in general. I tend to embrace change. Mind you, I love the security of my home and routine, but I love learning new things, trying new foods, experiencing different cultures, and listening to new music. You name it, I've most likely done it because I love doing new things. My kids have made it a game at times, naming off crazy things to see if I've done them. It's pretty hard for them to stump me. Now, of course, certain types of change is much more difficult. Change that is brought about by sickness, loss of a job, divorce, death, you know, those big life events we would never choose. So for those of you that love your same old, same old, it's time to look at the trees. They embrace that long sleep of winter with one last magical hurrah. I mean, they turned losing their leaves into this time of wonder and enjoyment, didn't they? They could have gotten all depressed about the coming winter and said, phooey, I don't want to go into hibernation. I don't want to lose my beautiful leaves. And they just let their leaves turn brown. Maybe we need to take a lesson from the trees. Embrace the change in style. So it makes me think of the change the people that built this country embraced and made magical in their own way. Those people that ran from war, famine, and abject poverty to come to this land to find a better life. Stop and think about it for a minute with me. That kind of change is crazy scary. 
My kids just flew out to Oregon by themselves to spend fall break with their grandparents. They have flown everywhere since they were babies. Remember, I love to travel to new places. So they know how to navigate an airport, but being the first time without their mama bear, this trip came with some anxiety. Ava was especially nervous. She is the child that has been attached to me from the day she was born. The first two years of her life were spent in a sling on my hip. She would stand on the front porch and bawl her eyes out when I would leave her just to go to the grocery store. So just imagine how nervous she was over this. After many discussions of how to embrace her fear and steal herself, I did talk to her of how I even get a little nervous traveling to a new destination. Now stop and think about immigrating to a new country to live. I mean, hang on a minute. When I go on a trip, I've planned it all out. I know what I'll be driving. Reservations at the hotels have been made. Google Translate is available, not to mention maps on my phone. Arrangements for my house to be taken care of while I'm gone are in place. And the biggest factor is that I know I will be coming home when I'm done with my adventure. So imagine for a second what it would feel like to have no solid plans, to not know where you will sleep or or if you will even make it safely, not knowing what you will eat, to never be able to go back to your home again. Will you run out of money? This list of anxiety-producing events could go on and on. I just really can't imagine it. My life here would have to be pretty bad for me to do something like that. The desperation would have to be so great, the living conditions so horrid without any hope in sight. Now this is where this episode gets exciting. I have the privilege and honor of immortalizing two stories of how desperation led to change, which in turn led to amazing things. My friend and fellow podcaster, Will Coca, graciously shared the immigration story of his father with me. Will lost his father two years ago. Liver cancer claimed him at only 62 years of age. He was a wonderful father that shared his love of music with his son and would sit and peruse through stacks of vinyl records with Will. So now it is my privilege and honor to share his story with you. Jorge Coca was not from Mexico like I thought. Silly, isn't it, how we make the assumption of Mexico when we see Latina descent? Jorge was from El Salvador. He was from a middle-class family, so living conditions were rather similar to middle-class living conditions here in the United States. He was a well-educated man who had received his bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering and had just started working on his master's in mechanical engineering at the university in the capital city of San Salvador. Jorge and his new beautiful bride, Annabelle, were starting to carve out a life in the bustling city of San Salvador. Every morning, Jorge would head out to the university to finish his master's, while Annabelle would head off to her job as an accountant. But their joy of starting a life and family together would be torn apart by the rumblings of unrest that had been brewing since the 1930s. October 17, 1979 was a momentous day for Jorge and Annabelle in two ways. First, it was the day their beautiful firstborn child Georgiana came into the world. Second, it was the day the Salvadorian Civil War broke out. All the rumblings of civil unrest, the corruption of the government, the socioeconomic inequalities, and the demand for basic human rights led to war. What an exciting day it is to finally get to meet your sweet little baby after waiting for nine long months. But my goodness, what a scary time it was for Jorge and Annabelle. Could they hear the gunshots and the people running in the streets? The mothers crying as their young sons were killed in the streets? Could they hear the screams of the children that were forced into service as child soldiers? 
As Annabelle nursed her baby for the first time, looking down at that beautiful little face, did tears of fear run down her cheeks as she contemplated the future? A future filled with violence and death. Georgiana, in a way, saved her parents the day she was born. How does a helpless baby become a savior? Through love. The love Jorge and Annabelle felt for their new baby and her future was so great, they took a huge leap of faith that catapulted them from their homeland to America. During the 12 years of the Salvadorian Civil War, over 75,000 people were killed. Many of them were innocent civilians, including women and children. As a university student, Jorge was targeted by the government military death squads. Jorge witnessed three of his friends killed while in class at the university. With the threat of his own life being taken, not to mention the violence, death, and economic downfall all around him, he knew he could not stay there anymore. Love sent them on a journey to find security for their new baby girl. What a hard decision that had to have been. How many nights did Jorge and Annabelle lay in bed awake, agonizing over the decision to leave their homeland? How many tears fell? I really can't imagine. Eventually, the decision was made to leave, and the only place to flee was to Mexico. Mexico was a temporary resting place. They were refugees now in a country that wasn't any better off economically. Violence and government corruption was prevalent there as well. America, a land of peace, was the obvious final destination. They stayed with a family member while Jorge tried to get across the border to the United States. Trying to get to the United States took money and time, both of which Jorge was lacking. He attempted to get across the border illegally twice, only to turn back after seeing families with small children go through horrible experiences. Descriptions were not given about what these experiences were, but they were bad enough to scare Jorge back to Mexico. But persistence paid off, and he finally made it to America. He wound up in Napa Valley, California, and stayed with his sister-in-law. Jorge was happy to find a job at Sutter Home Winery. So this college graduate, who was a mechanical engineer, was now picking grapes and doing other manual labor services, making minimum wage. Sad in a way, isn't it? I mean, gratitude, I'm sure, for the fact that he was starting to find safety for his family, but also sadness for the loss of his new career. But he had faith that his wife and children would make it to the States to join him. President Carter and President Reagan both involved the United States in the Salvadorian Civil War by giving money, weapons, and military training to the Salvadorian government. I don't want to get involved in the politics of that, but at least President Reagan ended up offering a lottery for asylum to the Salvadorian refugees. So yep, you guessed it. Jorge, Annabel, and their daughter were called up in the lottery and they were granted asylum. Oh, the joy they must have felt to be reunited as a family. But that joy was soon dampened by the fact that their living conditions were less than ideal. Remember the sister-in-law who so graciously took Jorge in? Well, now she took in her sister and their now two-year-old daughter. The kicker is they only had a one-bedroom apartment. The threat of death was gone, but living in such confined quarters with that many people would make you start to wonder if this was even a good idea. Everyone sharing one bathroom, an entire family sleeping on the floor and the couch of the living room every night, sharing a kitchen, all of that makes you get a little bit claustrophobic. (laughs) To top things off, Annabelle, who was an accountant in El Salvador, was now working as a nurse's aide, unable to grasp the English language well enough to utilize her accounting knowledge or go to college here in the States. She spent her days doing what I'm sure most accountants would never want to do, change poopy adult diapers all day. Yeah, 
Gross. Okay, there is more to being a nurse's aide than that, but there is a lot of poop and pee involved in that job. I know someone has to do it, and Annabelle did it for years and years to supplement her husband's income. Bless you, Annabelle. In 1984, their second child, Will, was born while they were in California, and eventually they moved to Walla Walla, Washington, where Jorge continued doing manual labor in a cannery, scrimping and saving until he saved enough money to go back to college since his mechanical engineering degree from El Salvador meant nothing here in the States. Man, I wish he could have challenged a test or something, but that wasn't an option. So back to college, Jorge went. He attended Washington State University and obtained his bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering. How proud I am of that man. I mean, really proud. Can you believe working and working in underpaid, underappreciated jobs and learning a second language until finally you could go and get the degree you already had? Annabelle worked nights so that she could care for Will and his sister during the day. What a glorious day it was when Jorge held his mechanical engineering diploma in his hands for the second time in his life. Hands that were calloused and worn from the hard work life required of him to finally get to this point. Jorge eventually got his dream job as an engineer for Boyd Coffee Company in Portland, Oregon. During all this time, the work was being done to obtain U.S. citizenship. This is a process. It takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of patience. But eventually, they did it. They became U.S. citizens. No longer were they living as resident aliens resident aliens. I was thinking about those two words. They sound rather harsh, don't they? When you think of the word alien, what comes to mind? Scary sci-fi movies? Weird people that don't belong? Do people that are resident aliens think of it in a negative way? As the judge swore the Coca family in, I imagine it like this. Jorge and Annabelle standing in the courtroom, answering the questions of the judge and listening to the words of a swearing-in speech. Hearts with heaviness, like a shroud around them, that began to slowly chip away with each word. All of the fear of having to leave this land that was their home now started to crack. The fear of the possibility of being sent back with their children who didn't know what it was to live anywhere than the United States chipping away. All of it falling away and exchanging it for peace. You know the cartoon about the Grinch who stole Christmas? Maybe it's like when the Grinch's heart grows and grows when he sees the true meaning of Christmas. Jorge's heart grew five times that day, full of peace and pride. He was proud to be an American. An American after those long, hard years, all that work, all that stress and worry. They were the first people in the state of Oregon to get sworn in after 9-11. I hear people say this all the time. Why don't they just go through the proper channels from the beginning and get their citizenship legally? It's so easy to judge a situation when you are standing far away. So let's step a little closer. Let's step closer to the situation. Let's get right into Jorge's skin and see what it would look like from his point of view. What kind of future would his children have had if he had stayed in El Salvador waiting several years to get into the lottery? If he had not embraced that horrible, scary change and left his homeland? Kind of makes you think a little differently, doesn't it? It blurs the lines of right and wrong. Both of his beautiful children are now successful, happy, and free, all thanks to their parents stepping outside the box and embracing change. 
Jorge was one of the most patriotic men Will has ever known. He proudly flew the U.S. flag. National holidays were celebrated with joy. Going to the polling station to vote freely was exciting. Will called his dad dejectedly one day, soon after the last presidential election, asking how was he to support the country he lived in when he didn't feel like supporting the newly elected president. Jorge said, Will, that's what makes this country so great. Sometimes the person you want to win wins, and sometimes they don't. But we have the freedom to make the decision of who to support without the fear of death, without looking over your shoulder, never worried that because of which candidate you support, you will not be gunned down by a death squad. This is what America is all about. So this man who missed his homeland with all his heart still loved his new country with all his heart. So here we come back to the rubber boot story. I had the pleasure of driving through the Michigan countryside this weekend. While enjoying the fall foliage, I saw a large field that had dark mud that had been tilled, and it reminded me of running through my grandparents' garden with rubber boots on. Then that got me to thinking about all the migrant farm workers I have taken care of in the ER over the years, all of the immigrants and migrant workers that work so hard doing the labor that many of those born here in the U.S. haven't. So one rubber boot story led to another. Let's hit that one before I leave you. I had a patient that had been picking zucchini in a field. He had tall rubber rain boots on. The process of picking zucchini went like this. Pull a sharp little curved knife out of the top of your boot. Slice off all the zucchini from the plant. Put the knife back into the top of your boot and place the zucchini in the bucket. Move the bucket forward to the next plant and do it all over again and again and again. On one of those repetitious movements, as he pulled his knife out of the boot, it caught on his calf and sliced right through his pants and left a deep cut into his calf, slicing into a small artery. When the bleeding would not stop, his field foreman put him into the truck and brought him to our ER. When he came to me, an ER tech was pushing him down the hall to the trauma room with a trail of blood behind all the way from the waiting room. I bent over his leg to get a look and his entire rubber boot was full to the brim with blood. Yeah, crazy. It was spilling over the top of his boot and running down onto the floor. Ugh, don't worry, squeamish people. It was all okay. After making a giant mess everywhere when I took his boot off, the laceration was stitched and his leg was nicely bandaged. Then he shocked me with the first words from his mouth when we were done. Can I go back to work now? Not, I need a work excuse note for a week, but can I go back to work now? This man embraced the attitude Jorge had, working so hard to try to make a better future for his family. That's what is so amazing about this country we live in. It is full of people with that same love and passion for their family. It's that kind of passion that has made our country so wonderful. Let's change gears just a little. Let's think of Jorge and the rubber boots. Let's think of how he took that muddy, bloody boot he was given from life, took a hose to it, put a lot of elbow grease into it, spent some time scrubbing it and handed it back to life and said, there you go, life. Life looked at that boot and smiled, thinking to himself, Jorge did it. He grew, he learned, he loved, and he came out on top. Let us embrace the change life throws at us the way Jorge did, with love. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of StoryStone. 
Wow, this episode was much longer than I thought it would be. I told you I had two stories for it, but obviously I was long-winded, and the second story, which was supposed to be the first story, will have to be in my next episode. Nicole, it's coming, I promise. And all of you, it's worth the wait. Come back and listen to my next episode of Storystone. It will be about my friend Nicole's grandma from South Korea. In the meantime, I must thank Will Coca for sharing the story of his father. Not only is Will a podcaster, but he is also a freelance audio producer and an amazing musician. Did you notice the intro music for this episode was different? Will composed and recorded that for me. So now Storystone has its own personalized music. So while you're waiting for the next episode of Storystone to come out, go listen to Will Coca's music on iTunes. Just type in Will Coca, W-I-L-L, last name is C-O-C-A, and it will pop up. Also, go listen to his podcast called Coffee Breaks. It's available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You will thoroughly enjoy listening to Will's deep, smooth voice as he talks about different music albums like Paul McCartney's album, Flaming Pie. Perfect for listening to with a cup of coffee while you enjoy the fall foliage out the window or driving in your car. Or just go visit his website, willcoca.com, W-I-L-L-C-O-C-A.com. But to make it easy, I have also included a link on my website if you can't remember how to spell his name. Remember, my website is www.storystone.org. And of course, while you're on my website, don't forget to click on the listener support link and join my group of listener supporters. By supporting Storystone with as little as a dollar a month, you're helping to pay for the small expenses that come with this form of art. Thank you for enjoying this episode of Storystone. I can't wait to have you come back again. Next time, before you do, find a nice comfy spot Settle in, hit play, and enjoy.